"'I guess you're feeling pretty tired and hungry,' Matthew ventured to say at last, accounting for her long visitation of dumbness with the only reason he could think of. "'But we haven't very far to go now, only another mile.' She came out of her reverie with a deep sigh and looked at him with the dreamy gaze of a soul that had been wandering afar star-led. "'Oh, Mr. Cuthbert,' she whispered, "'that place we came through, that white place, what was it?' "'Well, now, you mean the avenue?' said Matthew, after a few moments' profound reflection. "'It is a kind of pretty place.' "'Pretty? Oh, pretty doesn't seem the right word to use. "'Nor beautiful, either. They don't go far enough.' "'Oh, it was wonderful. "'It's the first thing I ever saw that couldn't be improved upon by my imagination. "'It just satisfies me here,' she put one hand on her breast." It made a queer funny ache, and yet it was a pleasant ache. Did you ever have an ache like that, Mr. Cuthbert? Well, now, I just can't recollect that I ever had. I have it lots of times, whenever I see anything royally beautiful. But they shouldn't call that lovely place the Avenue. There is no meaning in a name like that. They should call it, let me see, the White Way of Delight. Isn't that a nice imaginative name? When I don't like the name of a place or a person, I always imagine a new one, and always think of them so. There was a girl at the asylum whose name was Hepzibah Jenkins, but I always imagined her as Rosalia Devere. Other people may call that place the Avenue, but I shall always call it the White Way of Delight. Have we really only another mile to go before we get home? I'm glad and I'm sorry. I'm sorry because this drive has been so pleasant, and I'm always sorry when pleasant things end. Something still pleasanter may come after, but you can never be sure, and it's so often the case that it isn't pleasanter. That has been my experience, anyhow. But I'm glad to think of getting home. You see, I've never had a real home since I can remember. It gives me that pleasant ache again just to think of coming to a really truly home. Oh, isn't that pretty? They had driven over the crest of a hill. Below them was a pond looking almost like a river, so long and winding was it. A bridge spanned at midway, and from there to its lower end, where an amber-hued belt of sand hills shut it in from the dark blue gulf beyond, the water was a glory of many shifting hues, the most spiritual shadings of crocus and rose and ethereal green, with other elusive tintings for which no name has ever been found. Above the bridge, the pond ran up into fringing groves of fir and maple, and lay all darkly translucent in their wavering shadows. Here and there a wild plum leaned out from the bank like a white-clad girl tiptoeing to her own reflection. From the marsh at the head of the pond came the clear, mournfully sweet chorus of the frogs. There was a little gray house peering around a white apple orchard on a slope beyond, and although it was not yet quite dark, a light was shining from one of its windows. "'That's Barry's Pond,' said Matthew. "'Oh, I don't like that name, either. "'I shall call it—let me see—the Lake of Shining Waters. "'Yes, that is the right name for it. "'I know because of the thrill. "'When I hit on a name that suits exactly, it gives me a thrill. "'Do things ever give you a thrill?' "'Matthew ruminated. "'Well, now, yes.' 
It always kind of gives me a thrill to see them ugly white grubs that spade up in the cucumber beds. I hate the look of them. Oh, I don't think that can be exactly the same kind of a thrill. Do you think it can? There doesn't seem to be much connection between grubs and lakes or shining waters, does there? But why do other people call it Barry's Pond? I reckon because Mr. Barry lives up there in that house. Orchard Slope's the name of his place. If it wasn't for that big bush behind it, you could see Green Gables from here. But we have to go over the bridge and round by the road, so it's near half a mile further. Has Mr. Barry any little girls? Well, not so very little either. About my size? He's got one about eleven. Her name is Diana. Oh, with a long indrawing of breath, what a perfectly lovely name! Well, now, I don't know. There's something dreadfully heathenish about it, seems to me. I'd rather Jane or Mary or some sensible name like that. But when Diana was born, there was a schoolmaster boarding there, and they gave him the naming of her, and he called her Diana. I wish there had been a schoolmaster like that around when I was born, then. Oh, here we are at the bridge. I'm going to shut my eyes tight. I'm always afraid going over bridges. I can't help imagining that perhaps just as we get to the middle, they'll crumple up like a jackknife and nip us. So I shut my eyes. But I always have to open them for all when I think we're getting near the middle. Because, you see, if the bridge did crumple up, I'd want to see it crumple. What a jolly rumble it makes. I always like the rumble part of it. Isn't it splendid? There are so many things to like in this world. There, we're over. Now I'll look back. Good night, dear Lake of Shining Waters. I always say good night to the things I love, just as I would to people. I think they like it. That water looks as if it was smiling at me. When they had driven up the further hill and around a corner, Matthew said, We're pretty near home now. There's Green Gables over. Oh, don't tell me, she interrupted breathlessly, catching at his partially raised arm and shutting her eyes that she might not see the gesture. Let me guess. I'm sure I'll guess right. She opened her eyes and looked about her. They were on the crest of a hill. The sun had set some time since, but the landscape was still clear in the mellow afterlight. In the west, a dark church spire rose up against a marigold sky. Below was a little valley, and beyond a long, gently rising slope with snug farmsteads scattered along it. From one to another the child's eyes darted, eager and wistful. At last they lingered on one away to the left, far back from the road, dimly white with blossoming trees in the twilight of the surrounding woods. Over it, in the stainless southwest sky, a great crystal-white star was shining like a lamp of guidance and promise. "'That's it, isn't it?' she said, pointing. Matthew slapped the reins on the sorrels back delightedly. "'Well, now, you've guessed it. But I reckon Mrs. Spencer described it so as you could tell.' "'No, she didn't. Really, she didn't. All she said might just as well have been about most of those other places. I hadn't any real idea what it looked like. But just as soon as I saw it, I felt it was home. Oh, it seems as if I must be in a dream. Do you know, my arm must be black and blue from the elbow up, for I've pinched myself so many times today. Every little while a horrible sickening feeling would come over me, and I'd be so afraid it was all a dream. Then I'd pinch myself to see if it was real, until suddenly I remembered that even supposing it was only a dream, 
I'd better go on dreaming as long as I could, so I stopped pinching. But it is real, and we're nearly home. With a sigh of rapture, she relapsed into silence. Matthew stirred uneasily. He felt glad that it would be Marilla and not he who would have to tell this waif of the world that the home she longed for was not to be hers after all. They drove over Lynn's Hollow, where it was already quite dark, but not so dark that Mrs. Rachel could not see them from her window vantage, and up the hill and into the long lane of green gables. By the time they arrived at the house, Matthew was shrinking from the approaching revelation with an energy he did not understand. It was not of Marilla or himself he was thinking of the trouble this mistake was probably going to make for them, but of the child's disappointment. When he thought of that rapt light being quenched in her eyes, he had an uncomfortable feeling that he was going to assist at murdering something, much the same feeling that came over him when he had to kill a lamb or calf or any other innocent little creature. The yard was quite dark as they turned into it, and the poplar leaves were rustling silkily all round it. "'Listen to the trees talking in their sleep,' she whispered, as he lifted her to the ground. "'What nice dreams they must have!' Then, holding tightly to the carpet-bag, which contained all her worldly goods, she followed him into the house. 